Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where uh, we review films. We, we do that sometimes. We, we don't need a catchphrase that we just review movies. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic of uh, no renown whatsoever. And with me, as always, is a renowned film critic. You, you, are, you, you, you are a deeply respectable human being who mm. inspires joy, joy feelings in all those around you. Uh, my name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. I'm honored to be here with Whitney Seibold, my partner of many, 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 many years in the podcasting business. With uh, the power of joy, joy feelings, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing a whole bunch of new movies, including David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future, the thriller Watcher, the thriller Dashcam, <laughs> uh, the romantic comedy Fire Island, the action movie Interceptor, and the action action movie RRR. I call it Triple R. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't see that one, so I can't yeah. speak to it. So I, I don't know. Some people for are certain. just like making a rolling R sound. Like ah, well, it's three. Yeah. It's it's three words, right? Yeah, it, uh, each R stands for a different word. So it'd be just R R R. Arr. It's a pirate movie. Well, we'll talk about that uh, when the time comes. Uh, by the way, Elephant in the Room, uh, we realized that unless you were a patron uh, over at patreon.com slash network, uh, we actually released quite a few episodes less than usual uh, last week. No grander story to that. We had some people reach out to us say, are you guys okay? It was a rough week scheduling-wise, and we just couldn't find the time to get together and do our regular stuff, so... And there were some nights when we were free, but then it was, like, far too late to record. Yeah, or, like, uh, one we, of us we, said, we like... sort of, yeah. sort of crapped out on each other, Yeah, it's, so. it's, it's rough when you're an adult, and this, unfortunately, as much as we love this, and it seems mm-hmm. like we spend all our time doing it, uh, this is not actually our day job, for the most part, <laughs> so we do have to find the time whenever we can, and usually we're better about it, but last week was rough. We're back at it, though. We released an episode about Cactus Flower yesterday, and today we're back with new movie reviews. And I am very excited uh, to talk about any new movie from David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg is one of my favorite filmmakers. David Cronenberg is a generally very exciting filmmaker. Not without his duds. Not everything he's done has been brilliant, but his hits are... So distinctive and interesting and thoughtful and exciting and creepy and weird that um, I'm willing to forgive the occasional whoopsie yeah, well, daisy. Well, what's what's the big whoopsie daisy? I didn't well, see I know about ma- a big whoopsie daisy. I didn't say ma- see maps to the stars, That's a whoopsie which daisy. I've heard was not a good one. That's uh, a whoopsie daisy. I was fond of Cosmopolis, but I know a lot of people don't like Cosmopolis. Uh, real fast, David Cronenberg is a Canadian filmmaker who's been making films since the 1970s. Uh, his work was initially in the more of the sci-fi horror realm like uh, a little bit more aggressively so like mm-hmm. a lot more violent and uh, and hmm. uh, i don't want to say conventionally horrific but directly scary like I, was, I would say unconventionally horrific in a lot of ways he was very 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 interested in the concepts in science fiction and horror from a medical perspective, from the perspective of the human body and how it connects to the human mind. And, you know, Mm -hmm. if you did indeed have, like, a creepy parasite that made you do terrible things, well, okay, that would be scary, but what if I made it like a medical film? What if I made it... Because doctor's offices make people freak out anyway. Like, they scare Uh, me. So that approach that he had, and even his remake of The Fly, which is arguably his best, or at least one of his best movies... Uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum gene splices himself with a fly by accident, and 
he finds himself becoming fascinated by what happens to his body. Yeah, like he pulls you know? pieces off of himself and keeps them in jars. Yeah, um, it's, he becomes almost obsessed a, with how he's, he's physically deteriorating, and that's a very yeah, the, uh, distinctive take on that. It's really brilliant. Cronenberg uh, is, is, has always been very interested in, in disease and decay. Uh, if it's not decay of the body, it's uh, a kind of mental decline that also coincides with it, kind of a, a decay of one's surroundings. You'll mm-hmm. notice that his movies tend to begin in very clean, shiny environments, in mm-hmm. in some cases. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, and they always end in, like, a dilapidated apartment that's, like, burnt mm-hmm. out and full of, like, litter and filth. Dead Ringers is an excellent De- example Dead of Ringers this. But you can even see this in... happens in Videodrome, you can even Crash. You can even uh, see this in some of his, uh, like, maybe less typical films, like his adaptation of M. Butterfly. Mm-hmm. Actually opened, begins and ends a very similar way, now that you think about it. Um, yeah, he's interested in in decline, and sometimes it's mental, sometimes it's physical. Usually, it's a combination of both. Uh, and again, well, it's, it's about neglect of one over the other, uh, mm. typically. And it's I'd say a connection most of the time, yeah. honestly. Well, I, I, well, exactly. You you neglect yeah. one, and the other falls away, and, and so yeah. you try to. There's no balance in in a lot of these mm. films. Uh, it's kind. of... I'm surprised he didn't get to Freud and Jung earlier in his career than he did. <laughs> he made a film called A Dangerous Method, which is about, it's based on a play and it's about Freud and Jung and their relationship. And, and I would uh, actually argue it's maybe his, his uh, to date anyway, his last like truly great film. Like it's mm. a really excellent, he it got a little overlooked come award season. So some people disregarded yeah, it, but yeah. well, it's, it's a fantastic motion picture. Also, David Cronenberg uh, doesn't tend to get a lot of awards attention no. because his films are very off-putting and, and cerebral. Yeah. Uh, that's just sort of his, his, milieu that's how he how he works i remember when dead ringers came out dead ringers stars jeremy irons and jeremy irons as identical twin gynecologists who and they're trying they're trying to get their parents back together at summer camp <laughs> i would pay to see that movie so bad <laughs> you have no idea how much it would pay to see dead ringers freaky friday with with really jeremy freaky irons. friday uh no you're thinking of parent trap but uh though he, they, parent, parent they play twin gynecologists and uh one is extroverted one is introverted and uh they decide to share lovers like one will he will seduce them and then they'll switch places so mm-hmm. that his introverted brother it's a very creepy thing in, in and of itself uh but over time they become uh truly obsessive and start the lines between them start blurring and jeremy irons gives such an immaculate performance and it's all done with editing there's not a lot of like trick photography where you can see like there's a couple Haley mills uh, opposite Haley I think mills. there's a couple shots where they're in the frame they're together, very but... very careful about it. it is not you just but the performance is so strong that you don't even notice and if that was your first introduction to jeremy irons you'd probably think there were two of them you probably think he was identical twin actors like that's mm-hmm. how good he is that movie got so much acclaim for Jeremy Irons' performance that a lot of people thought it was going to win the Academy Award for Best Actor. He wasn't nominated, perhaps because the movie was so off-putting. He did end up winning the year after that for a film called Reversal of Fortune, which is also a great film with a really great performance. Uh-huh. But generally speaking, it's one of those times where you know, people like are just like, good. he won for Dead Ring. You know what? He is genuinely great in Reversal of I Fortune. I love him. People, nobody talks about him. Right? Yeah, Re- Reversal great. of Fortune is really, it's a true yeah. story about Klaus von Bülow and yeah. look, look him up. He's got a yeah. very, uh, very famous court case. Interesting court case. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, David Cronenberg, uh, he, he resents the phrase body horror. He doesn't like yeah. that his films are so typically 
described that way. We should probably stop making them that way then. I, I suppose so. I mean, uh, I, it's a it's an apt description. Like, I, I don't mean he, uh, it negatively. I hope he doesn't take it personal. But like, you make horror a, about the body, damn it. He hasn't made a horror or science fiction film since uh, the movie Existence in 1999. All of his films <sighs> since then, he went not purely, to, not purely. No, uh, he because uh, immediately after that, he sort of moved into the spider Eastern Promises, the mm. films he made with Viggo Mortensen kind of realm and he he's Mortensen wasn't in spider but yeah fair enough but yeah uh, yeah in fact Spider's um, really good by the way nobody talks spider, about spider he made with ray fines and ray fines was actually supposed to be the star of uh, crimes of the future oh, but he no could he, i think there was a scheduling problem i hadn't heard so that that's interesting Viggo mortensen came in instead anyway for like the last 20 years or so uh david cronenberg has kind of eschewed uh the stuff that he was kind of most famous for these kind of bizarre mm. horror sci-fi uh, hybrids and made uh, a few straightforward thrillers, some very intellectual thrillers, some very heady uh, uh, films about like society and fame and the economy, mm-hmm. and to varying degrees of success. You like Cosmopolis more than I do, but I do think it's very, very good. Um, it, and I would it's, argue that's his that's his Occupy Wall Street movie. Yeah. He really kind of delves into. Uh, financial injustice, mm. and even then says it's like this weird, this weird symptom of the body. The mo- most of the mm. film takes place inside a car, yeah, like in the back of a limo, and all there's all this action going on outside the window. It's yeah, actually it's really, like it's, it's almost like it's cocoon. It's it's like yeah. really brilliantly filmed because it's because it's mostly in the car. Uh, and there's this really bizarre scene in Cosmopolis where he's getting his physical from his doctor in the back of the limousine, yeah, while he's taking a meeting with someone else. So it's like. The, yeah, his car and the body, they're all kind of like one and the same, and he kind of starts experiencing all of this this weird kind of mental decay over the course of the movie, mm-hmm. and it's all just because of wealth. Money is the thing that's kind of robbed mm-hmm. him of his his sense of self. Yeah, but anyway, uh, uh, I, I, a lot of my favorite movies are David Cronenberg movies, uh, Dead Ringers, The Fly, his early horror film Shivers, I think is one of the scarier mm-hmm. movies ever made. Uh, Existence R- is really, R- really R- brilliant. R- well, yeah. Uh, you know, and and many more. Besides. A lot of a lot of people know know him for the fly. They know him for yeah. um, uh, uh, um, video drum, which is one of oh, my favorites. That you're a bigger uh, fan than I am, yeah. but it is excellent. Yeah. And uh, the, head, the the exploding head scene from Scanners. Scanners. That was the other yeah. one. Was Even if the rest of the you'll know what remembers the rest of the movie. Just the exploding that head exploding scene head. is enough, and it's a hell yeah. of a scene. They made a rubber head, and then they stuck a shotgun up inside of it, and they just blew it up. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, but uh, I, I do think that he is not infallible, and I would argue that his Hollywood uh, sort of uh, his setup of like how just alienated Hollywood is from the human experience, mm. uh, maps from the uh, maps of the stars is, I think, largely unsuccessful. I don't think it really uh, uh, amounts to much other than it's mm. kind of weird in it. Uh, um, I would argue uh, Fast Company is an interesting tone poem about. Uh, like stock car racing, it's kind of one of the weirder films in his canon. It was one of his uh, earlier. Yeah, movies, it's, yeah. It's, it's he had an interest in something else. He tried it out. It's not a bad movie per se, but it's also not particularly interesting. Um, and uh, and I would actually argue, unfortunately, mm. that his new film, Crimes of the Future, is not great. Well. David Cronenberg has never been a very welcoming filmmaker. He's not no. letting you in. And in fact, a lot of themes you'll find in a lot of his movies, it's in Videodrome, it's in Cosmopolis, it's very much a big part of Naked Lunch, and it's one of the centerpieces of Crimes of the Future, is a shadowy government conspiracy of some kind. Mm. That there's this sense of paranoia, that there's this force out there willing to get you. But Cronenberg never ever describes the true nature of these conspiracies. He's not super there's, interested in it, honestly. Like these, it's just this yeah, general sense that like the these, world these is two, un- Welcoming. Yeah, like these two people yeah. will drift in and says, "Ah, yes, we're from Interzone 
yeah. corp and uh, interzones uh, naked lunch. And it's, then, it's like that scene in Invader Zim. I am government man here from the government. Yeah, more or less. And, yeah. and they say, and we're we're here to do something really horrible to your body, like in video drone. We're going to insert a video cassette into your abdomen, and then we're going to vanish for a big and part of the movie. And it's Betamax, so it's extra and, evil. And you'll get these weird messages through these other intermediaries that whose identity you also don't really know. Uh, uh, to commit these acts of violence, and after a while, it, it starts to feel like you're going a little bit crazy. Yeah, it feels and like it feels yeah. like a paranoid delusion. Yeah, 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 and and that's a big part of Crimes of the Future. And unfortunately, those those elements don't necessarily stand in the way if he also has something that he's kind of getting at. That there's this weird kind mm-hmm. of government conspiracy that disapproves of whatever it is the main character is doing. Videodrome is a commentary on media. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cra- Crash is a commentary on sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crimes of the Future, I'm not exactly sure what he's getting at this I, time. I'm frustrated because I thought I had it. Okay. And I was enjoying this movie for the first half of it. And then it seemed abundantly clear that either... He lost interest in whatever he was doing and decided to go off in another direction, and it was kind of half-baked, underdeveloped, and didn't go anywhere. Or what I thought he was doing was never what he thought he was doing, and what he thought he was doing was uh, opaque and mm. not very interesting, which is frustrating. Mm, the, the, uh, Crimes of the Future, just let's get a baseline here. Uh, the, Crimes the, of the Future stars... The premise, v- the premise of the movie. It stars uh, Viggo Mortensen as an artist and a performance artist in the near-ish future. Uh, and in the nearish future, humanity is undergoing a bizarre form of unwilling evolution. Well, he he's affected with this condition where he's growing brand new internal organs. Yeah. Uh, not tumors, but new organs. And yeah. not, not doubles of the ones he has. New ones and they don't know what they do. Yeah. And uh, his artistic partner, is played by Leia Seydoux, uh uses these devices to sort of like reach into his abdomen with these tubes and put tattoos on those organs. Mm -hmm. And then their performance art is he'll lay in this big sort of carapace looking, uh, it's like an autopsy machine. It's It's got like blades on these little automated arms. Imagine if H.R. Geiger designed a sarcophagus mm -hmm. with knives in it. And and they call it like a, a... Sarco, like it, yeah, it's, it's got like a brand name, yeah, a brand name sarcophagus, yeah. and, and so like they remove so it they, in public in front yeah. of other people now, as a form of performance is, art. This is the near future, and there's been uh, at some point in the past some kind of big widespread genetic drift that has eliminated physical pain for most people. Yeah. So people are just uh, slicing into themselves and doing surgery in the street because mm. they don't feel any pain, and now that's sort of the new form of art. And indeed, uh, they say this in the movie: it's the new sex. Mm-hmm. You don't, instead of having sex, you have surgery. Yeah, and Vigo Mortensen is at the forefront of uh, this new art form. He is considered a, a titan of it, mm-hmm. a, a, an outsider, perhaps not necessarily commercial. There's a great bit where he goes to see another person's art show, and the art show is a guy with like dozens of ears his, all over his body. His, his just eyes, yeah, his, eye, his eyes and mouth are sewn shut, but yeah. he has yeah covered with ears. Yeah, and they're and they're like gen- they're not like prosthetics, like genetically uh, implanted or surgically implanted. And later on, someone asks him how was the show, and he just rolls his eyes and he just says. Pfft escapist propaganda <laughs> which yeah, is hilarious that's, yeah that's kind of cute and, and and honestly like uh, at that point I'm, I'm starting to realize like that's this whole chunk of the movie where like he has to go to like the new genetic organ like uh, registration board mm. in order to register his new organs with the government and the because people the, there because are, what he has is now like we, 
it's widespread, even though we're not talking about it too much. Right. So now they have to register whatever new organs grow in. Well, because they're concerned about people evolving into bizarre directions, and maybe mm. we need to catalog this and potentially put a stop to it. Uh, but the people who work there, including uh, Kristen Stewart, giving her <laughs> Nicholas Cageiest performance. <laughs> Every single line reading she does is like a little sideways. Yeah, I've heard some people say she's giving a bad performance, and I was thinking about this. I'm like, if Nicholas Cage was giving this performance, you would love it. No, it's like she's she, really she's funny. wonderful. She's, she's the only really interesting. She's actually like the only element of this movie that has like a little bit of levity. Uh, well, there's there's the two. Uh, uh, Queer sarcophagus repair people hitmen who I think are having fun, uh, but that's a whole that's there's, a whole side. Thing. We'll get weird, to that. Uh, we'll get to that shit. That's weird, a different weird thing. element of gratuitous nudity. With but those in any case, he, he, yeah. he's a famous artist. People look up to him. They admire him. He goes to register his organs with the government, and they're like all over his shit, and they like want to like archive his organs and everything. And I'm starting to realize that Viggo Mortensen is playing David Cronenberg. This is David Cronenberg as an aging outsider artist who has a lot of clout, a lot of fan persons, has to put up with a lot of people talking about what his material is. There's a great bit where mm. one of his groupies tries to have sex with him and he's just incredibly awkward about it. Um, I, I was watching this with uh, my, my partner Michelle and um, the whole bit where he's like going to the Canadian Phil Board, I, I, I'm sorry, the Organ Registration Board, uh, <laughs> and they're, like, fawning over him and trying to get him to do, like, a public appearance and everything like that. And and my partner turned to me and they said, um, this is what David Cronenberg goes through at film festivals. And probably, yeah. yeah. I, think it's, I think it's this kind of commentary on, like, how his career has evolved, how people look at his career, and how he's look, he himself is looking back in his career... Uh, in the contemporary age and now that things are evolving in odd directions and on that level I was really really into it but then the second half becomes this weird conspiracy crime thing with a guy who may have developed a way for human beings to start eating plastic and then Scott Speedman plays that character and And he has a Wants to barter a human body for use in art shows, and yeah, there's yeah, and also the, this in order to reveal his grand design, and maybe the, the, the and this maybe, like plastic eating underground movements. That, yeah, and the the thing is, I I don't understand where the paranoia is coming from in yeah. this story. What are we What uh, are we supposed to be afraid of here? The, the registration office is trying to book all of these new organs and put mm-hmm. them on the books, and uh, and every and because it's a Cronenberg movie, everything's really low tech. Uh, yeah, it's a lot, lot of filing, filing cabinets, cabinets and, brown yeah. exter- interiors. It looks like you know rooms you don't want to stay in, and they say, "Oh, there's a lot of concern about people evolving too quickly." Why? What's yeah. the concern? Uh, what, like, what what is what is being gained and what is being lost? Because we don't get a bigger picture as to sort of the world that we live in, which Cronenberg doesn't do anyway. No, it's actually it's, really abstract. You don't know what yeah. country we're in. You mm-hmm. don't know, like, you don't even know what time it, it is, like, what, what era it is. I, I think it. they don't say it, but it's Greece. I, it, I think, it looks like that kind of a, yeah. a, a country, but it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, and then, yeah, this sort of conspiracy. Oh, no. a lot of history to it. And now, and now there's all of this, like, cover-up is to, like, cover up what these new organs mean and what, what is the next step for human evolution. But we were it's talking like, about art for, like, 45 minutes and now we're doing 
act it, it feels like this was a metaphor that became too literal and now we're only talking about it literally it's kind of like what yeah. happened to like star wars where it's like it used to just, <laughs> it used to be, to be a fun little allegory a, and now a reference to and something now, else and, and now it's got to be like everything's got to be about the thing itself and i'm just like david how did you do that in one movie like <laughs> it's really kind so, of incredible uh there's a, a few things i do like about this mm-hmm. i do actually like that weird sort of sense of paranoia that sort of floats yeah. through his movies i love his aesthetic that yeah. kind of muted brown really kind of subdued uh universe that the uh, these things exist in david cronenberg although he himself is really interested in like shiny high-tech stuff mm-hmm. and he's talked about how digital projection and digital photography is way better than old school old world film mm-hmm. uh, it's easier to edit he was always in favor of people going to their uh going out to their dvds and watching scenes of movies out of order yeah. because you can kind of like clip around and do editing yourself yeah. uh he uh I read, uh, I haven't finished it yet, but I started reading his novel, Consumed. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, which, yeah. I heard that's got some parallels with this movie, actually. A little bit, yeah. yeah. That, that, that's a movie about um, a really rare uh, sexually transmitted disease. And the person it was named after, and these eccentric uh, murderers who are also connected to the the, the, mm. the, the disease in this way. Uh, that, But, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Uh, you no, were talking just, about uh, the air of paranoia. He, well, no, he, his interest in high his technology. His interest in high technology, and in that right. book, he talks a lot about uh, like the computers they're using and talking over FaceTime and how this is just sort of a natural way to communicate. And yet you go into his movies and none of that is in there. In fact, yeah. people don't even wear jewelry in his movies. I feel like uh, that's, that's a calculated like, attempt to make his movies feel timeless by not making them feel contemporary. Maybe so. I think it's just an aesthetic he's fond of. Well, I think that's why. Um, there's uh, Viggo Mortensen, for instance, sleeps in this gigantic, uh, it's like a beetle shell. It's like yeah. full of pillows. And it like has yeah. these tendrils that reach down and reach into the wounds on his body to alleviate the pain. Because he does feel pain. He feels pain but when only he's when he's asleep. Yeah. So he needs to sleep in this big space. So the idea is that he's subconsciously feeling things even though he's dead inside as a conscious person and then he is perhaps subconsciously deciding what organs to make Mm. and that is somehow part of the process and um, again it feels like he's saying something about creativity and how he views creativity Mm. but then it becomes like literally about like and then this person's an undercover spy for the for the art critic cops like literal art critic cops so there's a lot going on here it's a criticism of the high art world and I, I feel like more than anything, it's a send up of high art, and I would, yeah. I would love to uh, f- get the line on Cronenberg's own exposure to the high art world, mm. and figure out who he was like, who in particular he was sending up, because mm-hmm. I feel like he's probably met art like performance artists, or artists yeah. who are a lot like this. Uh, Cronenberg is one of those filmmakers who doesn't, even though his films are very cerebral, doesn't like to talk about his movies, like mm-hmm. analyze them with other people. He doesn't want to hand them to you on a platter, yeah. And here's the weird thing he used to. I've read older interviews with him, and he's actually very open about what he's trying to say with his movies, uh, and now he doesn't do that anymore, because he's in his late 70s and he doesn't have to. Yeah, I care. Making this movie was sort of a breeze for him, because an actor comes to a Cronenberg film at this point, they just do what he says. He doesn't have to explain. It's like, you're going to be in a Cronenberg movie. Yeah, I'm going to be in a Cronenberg movie. Yeah. Okay, you want me to hide a body? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I trust I, you. I also mm. I liked I like that detail. I like the um, 
a little bit more of sort of the horrific things. Uh, because Viggo Mortensen has all these new organs, he has trouble eating. Mm. He can't digest food regularly, so he has to sit in these weird digestion chairs. Yeah. I feel like the special effects were supposed to be a little bit more elaborate, because they just sort of, like, tilt back and forth and squeeze your abdomen with these little kind of mm-hmm. bony insect arms. Yeah, it looks almost like one of those, like, um, one of those, like, 4D... Like movie theater oh, like a, chairs, like just like shake yeah. you around when like, oh shit, Maverick's really flying around now. You know and, that and, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and, and you yeah. sit in that while you eat, and that's supposed yeah. to help food go through your system. Yeah, I, 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 what I like about the movie, and, and I, ultimately, I, I think this is not a successful film. I think he loses the thread. Uh, I think there are things in the second half of the movie that just simply make no sense. I have no idea why those two people killed that guy. Like, yeah, I literally yeah, yeah. don't know. Like, <laughs> like, I don't think the movie does who either. They, who they were working for, I don't know why they, they were killing for. this guy. But yeah. if they think, okay, maybe they killed that guy for this reason. But then why did they kill that guy? He had nothing to do with it. What are they, what are they, are they just like assassin temps just sort of wandering around and doing all, do, doing things on spec? What are they doing here? And like, there's, and there's no sense as to what the, what it means for the lid to be blown yeah. off of all of it this. It doesn't mean... We don't know what the lid means for the lid to be blown off of the, this. We don't understand... Like, there's a whole scene where, like, we are exposed to someone's, like, internal organs, and it's like, this is all wrong. And I'm like, we don't know what it was supposed to look like. We're yeah, not giving yeah. context here. Uh, there's a lot of talk about, like, who is requesting and inspiring uh, and and benefiting from the art that some of these people are making, for example. But what this movie is weirdly devoid of, and I think it prevents the film from having a lot of teeth is any sense of what the class system is like. Like, for example, Scott Speedman plays a character who ostensibly he's in charge of stuff. He has a big business. He's like leading a group of people. But for half the movie, I literally thought he was homeless. Like, and then it turns he's out like he's actually, a, he's like living in yeah. a flop house. But yeah. then, but then it turns out he's got all of these resources and everything. And I'm like, well, it's they, just, they introduce it's, the character by saying he's like this rich industrialist. Uh, not yeah. really well. It's not clear. Like it, it's we don't see it in like his house or anything like that. There's it's without seeing like who benefits from all of these schemes. It's really difficult to really say what this satire or what this critique is really aimed at. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that really hits are these sort of whimsical analogs to Cronenberg like meeting someone from film Twitter, you know, like and all of those moments are really yeah. funny and interesting. And they're, they're, they're infused with a lot of great thought. And, uh, the, there's so much good stuff in it, but it just loses its focus and becomes a, a weird, confusing mishmash towards the end. Uh, I spent a lot of time trying to think about what am I missing here? Like what is mm. surely he thought of, and, and I have come up with some like, theories but none of them track all the way through there's always something missing yeah. that would keep it from truly landing um and i can't really talk about all of them without like discussing like the ending ending which i feel is one of those endings where it's just like okay great now the third act is about to start it's the credits oh my god we're just ending right there <laughs> like we, we just figured out like yeah. something important about I, one of these I, characters i thought i thought I this is where it's going to kick in that, and we're going to yeah. make and we're going to finally make our point and then it turns out no like, oh god all right well this is this feels like this feels like david cronenberg's did some sketches you know, or maybe like wrote a first draft. Mm. Um, he had a couple of ideas and just tried to put yeah. them together. Yeah, which again, you're entitled to do. It's mm. certainly it's certainly more interesting than a lot of successful movies that I've seen. But it's also I can't really in good conscience yeah. recommend it. Certainly, it's not one of his better works. Well, 
another really upsetting thing about Crimes of the Future is, you know, this is about surgery and they talk about body horror and there's all these yeah. interesting tools that they're using to reach into people's bodies. Uh, it's weirdly not disturbing. Uh, yeah. Like watching the surgery scenes don't give you any kind of like icky, unsettled feeling. It's, no, in fact, it's, it's, it's actually, actually considered it's, kind of sexy. It's it's very presented very matter of factly. Yeah. Uh, it, it's almost neutral. Yeah. And there's a there's a scene well, I think, that, which, which leads to maybe my interpretation that he's an artist who's been working for a long time and it's a little dull now. Yeah, but you know? the I think a lot of the idea is people are doing these sort of like body modifications as uh, as performance art, and mm. indeed there's several scenes of body modification throughout mm. the uh, from different artists from too. yeah different characters throughout the movie. And that doesn't have any kind of like mounting momentum. Like mm. we're gonna body body alter ourselves until. The point where we don't even look human anymore, like yeah. that's it's a promise that the movie something. doesn't really want to. Yeah, like deal it, it with, seems yeah. like it's going to go someplace really kind of disturbing and grotesque, and it never gets grotesque, well, and that's upsetting. And again, I, I wanted like, it to be grotesque. I feel like again, I feel like part of the commentary is here's so much potential here, you can do literally anything, and people are just like more years, go with it. And even like the protagonist is kind of like rolling his eyes at it, like yeah. you can literally do anything with the human body, and you just gave him more years. Why? Yeah, what, well, are we, and, what are we saying with this? And, and there like, should have been a, a scene you know, later on to counter that. Like, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, we, we, we need contrast. We recreated that the final scene from Society in live action. <laughs> Wouldn't that be king? Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, you know, again, I just feel like we're, it's missing contrast. Mm. The contrast is necessary in order to determine what in this movie is deemed to, even at least at least to the characters, have value, uh, to have meaning, mm. to have. Uh, to to warrant moral judgment, there's a big moral judgment that's made at the end of the movie. I'm still hazy on why it's wrong. Why? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's clearly weird and messed up. But like, seriously, like, are we gonna? What? Why all of a sudden are we getting on a pedestal about it? I feel mm. like you're we're we're kind of all kind of guilty of this shit, and we're not really talking about that. And then the movie's over. Um, there's also this whole series. Of, we'll move on. But there's this weird series of scenes between. Viggo Mortensen and like this like cop character and I'm not gonna mm. tell you how all that comes together. It literally feels like all of those scenes left out of the movie completely, and they were all <laughs> added. It feels like that they're all added to explain stuff that was obtuse or like kind and of. The, it's it's, the, it's uh, literally just so. Wait, what happened just now? And Viggo Mortensen's like, "Oh, this stuff happened." And then the cops yeah. just like, "Oh yeah, well, it turns out this person did that." And I'm like, "Cool. Uh, does that mean anything? And could we have seen it? And could it matter later or even now?" And the answer to that is no. None of those things. Uh, Viggo Mortensen's perform. Viggo Mortensen's a very good actor. He's, he he can do a lot. He can yeah. be very funny. He can be very lighting. Very yeah. serious. He usually takes some sort of like. Uh, he's cast in like heavier kind of. Well, because he's, he's a big guy, uh, square jaw. I remember yeah. when he played the uh, drill instructor in GI Jane. Like he, just, yeah, like he's a big tough guy. Well, he's, he's Aragorn. He's a big warrior type yeah, looking guy. You know, that, yeah. yeah, he's cast as like a warrior in a Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he's doing here. Uh, he's supposed I think he's to. Playing David he's su- well. He's supposed to be like uh, growing these new organs, and he's always yeah. like a little bit uncomfortable. But he, in order to sort of cover his body, because his body is his mm. instrument, so he wants to cover it up. So he wears this mm. kind of big, shadowy-looking raincoat. He looks when he like goes a Sith out. Lord. Uh, a, 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 I suppose it's yeah. just like a raincoat. But uh, yeah. he, uh, he's covered up. We don't see his face a lot. We don't see his mouth a lot, and he kind of is always straining to get his dialogue out, and I couldn't understand him a lot of the time. Oh, weird. So there was a lot... Maybe, I didn't have that problem. Maybe yeah, it was maybe, the theater. Maybe, yeah, there was something about the sound in my theater. It was like, oh, organs. 
Yeah, there's this conspiracy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's raspy. He's playing yeah. it like he's like he's physically diminished. I know, but, but if if you're yeah. gonna give me all these like oblique terms, uh, I'd I'd rather hear them. It'd yeah. be nice if there was a little bit more just aural clarity. Yeah, oh. just as a weird technical note, but you know. Anyway, um, moving on. Let's talk about another thriller that opened uh, this weekend. This is. Uh, a a serial killer thriller called Watcher, starring the and I'm just gonna start saying this hmm. the great Micah Monroe. Micah Monroe is pretty cool. Micah Monroe is increasingly like one of the best horror actors I think we've got. She at the very least has excellent taste in projects. Yeah, uh, because she was also in The Guest mm-hmm. and she was also in It Follows, and those are both rather notable horror films from yeah. the last couple and, of years. And, and although this isn't quite as striking as those other movies, it's also very very good. Um, this is a movie from director Chloe Okuno, and Micah Monroe plays a woman who moves to Romania with her husband. He gets a new job. He was born there but raised in America. He knows the language. She doesn't, so mm-hmm. she's very much a fish out of water. He has to translate everything, and she has to sort of trust that he's translating correctly. Sometimes it seems like people have a private little joke, but he doesn't explain it to her. Um, she has nothing to do here. At least not yet. She hasn't. Mm. She has to figure out what she's going to do while she's okay. here because she has moved uh, for her spouse's career, and she is all alone in this really gigantic apartment. And when I mean gigantic, I don't mean like a whole bunch of rooms. I mean weirdly tall. It's like a studio apartment. <laughs> it's like, but like a giant, uh, like a loft apartment, like a loft apartment, mm. like like seriously, like the, 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 not the, a studio loft. Like yeah. I'd say, how how tall is a typical like ceiling? What like what nine feet, ten feet, uh, something like the, that? Yeah, about yeah. Th- this one feels like it's at least fifteen. Like it's just right. weirdly big, and they have these giant windows. And when she looks outside, she can see other apartment complexes, and she sees the lights from everyone's windows, and she's just looking outside because she got nothing else to do. And she keeps seeing one guy in one apartment who is just constantly staring at her. Not moving, Hmm. just staring at her. And it's fucking creepy. And she tries to tell her husband about this, and he doesn't find it remarkable. He doesn't think it's worth noting. He thinks, okay, well, let that guy do his own thing, and why don't we just shut these blinds and never talk about it. Um, But it also turns out that there's a serial killer in the neighborhood. Someone oh, well, who's, someone uh, who's, every, every neighborhood has some, one. someone who's slicing throats, increasingly like decapitating them more and more every single time. Uh, and uh, Micah Monroe is concerned because some creepy guy is watching her, and she's not a hundred percent sure, but she's pretty convinced someone is also following her around town, like to the movies or uh, into in the grocery store. Uh, and she keeps trying to tell her husband and the cops, "I'm concerned for my safety. Someone is watching me." Mm. And after making a few very passive uh, uh, interrogations into that, everyone basically agrees she's making a mountain out of a molehill and completely ignoring her. Um, so as you can imagine... It's a good, good paranoia, n- nobody yeah. listens to me kind of... Well, yeah. and specifically nobody listens to women, which is pretty mm. significant here. There's a scene early on which is indicative of the entire film uh, where, uh, you know, they've just moved to Romania. It's their first night uh, and he's going to go to work the next day and leave her all alone, which is mm. chicken handle. She's an adult, but like, you know, she wants to say goodbye to him in the morning. And she says, uh, wake me up before you go. Simple mm. request. Before you go, go. But yes. All right. Don't leave her hanging on like a yo-yo. Mm. Um, says, Mrs. Wake me up. Wake me up before you leave for work. 
And uh, we, we cut to, like, midday, she wakes up, and she's got a message on her phone, and the message is, you were so cute, I couldn't wake you up, and I took a picture of you sleeping. Which the, just goes to show, sh- like... Shades of Lost Highway. There, yeah, which it. is also just, like, again, this is just... You, you can't even, like, respect her enough to do a little thing, like, that she asks you to do. Yeah. Instead, you choose to regard her. And that's the movie in a nutshell. It's just people ignoring women when they say there are red flags, there mm. are dangers. And it builds, it builds, it builds, it builds to, actually, I think, a very effective climax. Um, I feel like if this movie were made in the 1970s... It would have been made by like Dario Argento or Umberto Lenzi or something, oh, yeah. and it would have uh, had a lot more murders in it. The murders would have been a lot more vivid, uh, but it a also would have undermined stylish, yeah. yeah but also, and it would have been more exciting and more suspenseful, but and, and perhaps, but it also would have undermined the premise. I think if you luxuriate in the violence against women, then the story about like why men should take women more seriously when they s- accuse men of wrongdoing. Uh, would kind of fall apart a little bit because we're supposed to enjoy that violence in some way. So here, it's actually much more of a reserved movie. Um, It does go somewhere. I'm not going to say exactly where it goes. And there's a really creepy bit with a plastic bag I'm not going to ruin. It really is dancing. It's begging me to play with it. Shut up. (laughs) Not American Beauty creepy. Like, legitimately, no, like, like legitimately, like, I don't know, like, I, I don't know if it was a trick like that, like they were convincing me to like project onto that bag a shape that it doesn't have, All or right. if they carefully molded this bag to look a certain way, like it carried something really freaky in it. Like cool. I don't know, but like they nailed it. Like it's super disturbing. Uh, so there's really good like bits in it, but it is a little reserved and a little dry, and as a result, it really does fall in almost entirely on Micah Monroe to keep the movie alive. She's got to be vulnerable, but also strong enough that we think she might be able to get out of this. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got to really have this incredible balancing act where, um, and I'm sorry, she nails it. She's so damn good. She's like absolutely like the perfect protagonist for this kind of thriller. Uh, she brings like so much to even a role with like very little dialogue. Uh, that I'm just increasingly a fan. I just I want to see more and more and more. I, I feel like she's one of those uh, actors who, you know, they started off doing some really exciting indies and it follows and the guest, and then they had like their big breakout like blockbuster movie they got cast in, but then that was Independence Day Resurgence. That's right. <laughs> and, and nobody came out of that movie looking good. Like, I, I wasn't nearly as angry at that movie as other people were, but, like, nobody did it's, especially good in it. it it's, like, nobody it's, shined. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty terrible movie. Yeah. yeah um, but it's not even this, like, oh, well, at least there was one breakout performance. Like, no, it's just everyone just sunk under this weird franchise, like, reboot. But... Uh, so I feel like she she didn't she, she they missed that spot. Uh, she needs more. She's so talented that she carries this whole movie, and I think the movie works mostly because she's good in it. Uh, but it, it's pretty good. It's okay. not amazing, but it's it's uh, it's pretty good. Um, what isn't pretty good, and I'm gonna make this quick because I actually haven't seen this recently. I saw this movie uh, last year. Uh, it was remotely, but it was for a film festival. Uh, and it's not fresh in my mind, so I'm going to uh, give you a quick. But it comes out. Uh, this it week. came out. It came out this last weekend. Yeah. Uh, it is a movie called Dash Cam, and it is the latest film from Rob Savage, uh, who wrote and I think I forget if he co-wrote it, but he he directed the 
the quarantine thriller Host. It's really quite good. Which is really quite excellent. It made it really early on in the quarantine, too. Uh, as soon as everyone was really, like, housebound, Rob Savage uh, got some actors together, and he came up with a movie that was about uh, people who decided to join together for an online seance, and how they release something supernatural that's going to kill them but but in each of their homes exactly so it's all it's so it's actually like and that's that's a clever idea in and of itself but he actually manages to make it kind of a commentary on how people who don't take life or death situations seriously are getting everyone killed it was perfectly topical Hmm. and a legitimately great horror movie and so i was excited to see more from him and unfortunately his follow-up is quite bad oh that's too bad uh is a film it is another uh it's a found Cause, footage cause I really film. dug host. i love it's dug it really, too really good i, I appreciate i think he's going for something here i don't think it works but um so uh are you familiar with an indie rock band called giant drag no I don't okay know so drag. there's a there, the the lead singer and guitarist and songwriter for it is uh as a person named ann hart uh annie hardy uh, annie hardy stars in this movie basically as herself I don't know how closely she's playing herself because I don't know her and I don't really know her music. But uh, in the movie, she plays um, uh, uh, a woman and she is a MAGA enthusiast, online troll, all right. uh, believes that the pandemic is all uh, a sham, uh, goes full Karen in restaurants. Like, she's just incredibly... The, the, uh, the worst of humanity. It kind of is. And unintentionally yeah. uh, so, obviously. The movie obviously knows that she's... Uh, not a good person. Yeah. Uh, she hosts an online show where uh, she's driving around town while she is live streaming, and the people who are watching her give her random words, and she incorporates it into an ongoing freeform rap about everything she sees, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting, but not really a movie. Uh, she decides in the middle of the pandemic to go visit her friend in England, I believe. They used to be in a band together. He is now uh, married, or at least in a serious relationship, with someone who has absolutely no patience for her, has no meaningful relationships with her, and is unwilling to forgive her for any of her bullshit. Uh, she is shrill, cruel, annoying, uh, irresponsible, uh, and when they basically try to kick her out, she decides to take his car and his like Uber Eats route and just go around and picking up other people's food. And when she does, someone comes up to her and just says, here's a bunch of money. I have a person here who is strangely uh, not talking and seems physically afflicted with some kind of ailment and occasionally excretes horrifying things. Uh, Would you mind delivering them for me? And for whatever reason, and for the money, she says, sure. And then sure enough, this person in her backseat is perhaps possessed by a demon or an alien or something. And it ends up going growing new organs. Yeah, and then ends up going really, really bad for her and everyone uh, she comes in contact with. Um, It is never entirely clear what exactly supernaturally is going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is never satisfyingly vague in that kind of horror movie way, where like, okay, I don't have all the answers, but I know it's creepy. You know, like that kind of thing. It's never that either. It's just confusing and unmotivated and dissatisfying. And we are trapped in a car 
with the worst person you know on the internet. The, the absolute worst person who has ever commented on one of your tweets is now the star of a movie and you're stuck with them and they're the protagonist and every single thing they say or do gets other people hurt somewhat disproportionately people of color i might add i don't i'm hoping that's an accident because it Hmm. doesn't really seem like it's thematically really addressed in a meaningful way uh clearly they made a choice it was like what's let's what if we did a horror movie and the protagonist was the worst person in the world uh, I get how, that. How, how do, is it possible to feel sympathy for the horrible person? And the answer to that is yes. Like yeah. I've, I, even like you look at like tales from the crypt episodes, where like someone is really no. really terrible, but their comeuppance is so terrible, you're just like, uh, yeah, no one deserves deserve drown- no yeah. one deserves drowning cockroaches, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. And so you know you can you can kind of project onto that. You know, like well, I'm I, I everyone knows. Hmm who they are everyone knows the what mistakes that they've made what 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 if uh, if i went to hell what would my ironic punishment be we all kind of know that yeah, yeah. and so when we see that bestowed upon someone we can say to ourselves yeah that's my worst nightmare you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing um but in this movie she's like yeah bad things happen to her but she's also kind of weirdly untouchable which makes it more frustrating because there's no catharsis to this mm-hmm. there's it's it's weirdly moralless in a in a in like in a very unsatisfying vicious kind of way um it is a nails on chalkboard experience it is, really is it, really is is it that you can't figure out the moral or is it that it definitely has a moral that you disapprove of i don't think it has a mo- I, if if i i that's an excellent question. No, that, that's an excellent question, and it's and it's one where I'm gonna I'm gonna yield the floor a little bit because I haven't seen it very recently. Okay. Uh, so, but if memory serves, because I remember I wrote a review of this, and you can read this is I wrote it like a review like the same day I wrote it, and you can read that review on the wrap, and it'll have a clearer. And I'm and I'm 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 much more kind I think in that review than I should have been because I'm talking about the creative process that led to this movie being so bad. Um. And I like I kind of get how you got there, but I honestly feel that this movie feels like trolling. I feel oh, like that's okay. you know it does which, does which does can tro- serve a function as well. But, but, you know. Perhaps, but it also depends on where where it's directed, isn't it? Uh, trolling someone in a pointed manner in order to expose hypocrisy or lies or in order to make a cutting attempt to reveal a grander truth. Uh, that might have some value potentially, uh, but there's also just shitty people saying shitty things to be shitty to get a rise out of it, so people to notice them. Mm. And that's this character, and I feel like the movie doesn't dislike her as much as I do. Mm. And I, th- I think the problem with making a movie where your protagonist is incredibly just difficult to be around is that you have to be around them the whole time. Mm. And I think they, at best, the best you can say about this movie is that they dramatically overplayed that hand. Huh. The one interesting thing I think this movie does, and I, I, I feel like, I feel like there's something to be done with this somewhere down the road, maybe, or maybe someone will do something more clever with it. But because the movie is played out like a live web stream, and uh, if you you know it's like when you're watching like YouTube, you can watch it like live with comments. Uh-huh. If it was like a live show, and you can see people interact or uh, or whatever comment on things in, in real time. 
we have that for most of the movie. Okay. Like on the side, we see people commenting on the action. And after a while, it becomes like this kind of modern version of a Greek chorus mm. where we're getting sort of interesting commentary and like people are commenting, they, they don't believe what's happening or maybe they're trying to, you know, protect her or something like that. There's like one bit, I just made a mental note of it where someone's just like, nobody ever listens to us. Like it's yeah. basically like, it's just this weird, you know, you're kind of helpless to, to affect the story. Um, there's something interesting to be done there. I think maybe well, you could study the, the film from that perspective. That's but. the sort of thing that's been going on since cyber thrillers in the early 2000s. I remember mm. seeing a, a mm. thriller called uh, My Little Eye, uh, which came out that. in like 2002 or something. Okay. Uh, which was, it was one of the very first movies about uh, streaming snuff films on the internet. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Th- There are a couple of films with that same premise. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this was like, people are trapped in this, uh, in this like, uh, reality show like Big Brother type mm. situation and uh, I think at, like at one point they get a gun they mm. don't like they don't get food but they get a gun and now yeah. they have to and you know, clearly after a while it's clear that like somebody's betting on who's gonna like live the night right. uh, like some rich sadists are watching this on the internet and because it's the internet in 2002 uh, you can't trace any of it it's completely untraceable right uh, untraceable was another one oh yeah there you go uh, this sort of idea that people are watching along with something on like horrible happening on the internet is a really old idea. Agreed, it's a but twenty-year-old idea. At this agreed, point. but I don't think I've ever seen it done wall to wall. I've seen it be part of a scene, perhaps, uh-huh. but I've never seen it just be like they are a cons- almost like MST3K. Like they're they're a constant presence, yeah. and we're watching them watch it. The one thing they don't really do, at least not that I could tell, was like make a consistent character about any of the commenters. That might have been interesting. If you like if you followed along, you'll notice this person is going through this or whatever. Like there's this weird bit and um it's slightly different, but uh, the movie Searching. Great techno great techno thriller. Oh my god, that movie's good. If you haven't seen it, John Cho plays a dad, his like teenage daughter goes missing, and the whole movie is him it searching through her computer. Like we see it through like the camera on the computer trying to find out more about her, like trying to like find out her browsing history or social media history, who she was interacting with online, her emails, uh, and finding out that he didn't really know his daughter very well. And she mm. was actually like in, 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 into a lot of things that maybe were a problem. Maybe they weren't, but it's very much a revelation to him. And he's trying to solve the mystery by solving his daughter, basically. Mm. However, if you look at the margins in that movie, if you look at like uh, when he's looking at like a YouTube clip, uh-huh. if you pay attention to like little details, like oh, here's a re- here's a recommended video and stuff like that, there's also aliens. <laughs> there's like this little <laughs> hidden subplot where like there's this weird like X Files kind of thing. It doesn't directly connect to the story at all, but if you pay attention, there's just like a little little side thing going on and like the other news stories that are relevant. Mm. That's kind of neat. <laughs> it's kind of fun. I actually got to write an article recently about uh, like mm. the extra 200 pages of script that the screenwriters needed to put together to fill in all of those extra little side margins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's interesting. Um, anyway, so Dashcam, I do not recommend it. This is, this is one of those things where sometimes you, you, you recently, uh, you just came out, we'll review it next week after people have had a chance to see mm-hmm. it. You just had a chance to see the new Jurassic Park and you wrote a tweet uh, I, that was, I, I just came back from seeing it tonight. Yeah, yeah. And you can see his Twitter feed. You can mm-hmm. see the tweet. He wrote a tweet that was like virulently like, you know, that this was not a good movie and we'll go into great detail about um, it when we review it. I, I, I didn't like it. I'll you say did that not care so about it. And you said so in a very uh, 
uh, very colorful manner. Not not necessarily <laughs> using bad language. It's just like you know you can you can just see like okay here's what's wrong with this and this this yeah. and this. And then like one of the first comments was immediately well now I want to see it more. I'm like no. I'm trying to spare you. In the case of Dashcam, I legitimately do not recommend mm. you put yourself through it because it's well, gonna really, it's gonna really, just like, it, it, it's it's not gonna scratch an itch. It's gonna make you itch. Well, there's uh, I, I can't I can't on good uh, conscience tell people. I don't know who this is for. I don't know who to yeah, recommend this to. You, you and I are very frank when we see yeah. a movie that is. So uh, like so unbelievably bad or misguided. Yeah, uh, has so many weird bad ideas in it. Yeah, that well you gotta see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when we saw like Serenity, it was a, an example that comes to the, mind. The Matthew the, McConaughey, uh, the Matthew movie, McConaughey not the, movie, not the sci-fi. That movie. has a yeah, twist well, about yeah. halfway through that is bonkers. That is such a terrible, weird, unsatisfying yet completely like for story-wise game-changing idea. You have to see that shit to believe they really mm. did it. So, it, Serenity, not a good film. Yes, it's, it's but like, I do recommend it. But, yeah, you should definitely see something like that. Yeah, so um, I will flat out tell you. We'll yeah. say that, if that's yeah. the case, if it's, like, so awful that it becomes kind of fascinating in a yeah, way, it's like, it's like then a, we're going to yeah. tell you to go see that. It's, uh, yeah, it's like watching a Dr. Pimple Popper episode. Like, this is technically gross, yeah. but I can't take my eyes off yeah, it. The, the people who yeah. re-released Morbius thought that they could get traction in that regard. Yeah, like, it's Morbius like, oh, is... It's, it's fascinatingly bad. No, no it is... It's just a bad movie. It's actually very blandly bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like it's not interesting enough to develop a cult. I think. Yeah. I think it's just people are just amused by it by its by its failure. I think that's why it got memed so hard. And also, Morbius is just fun to say. Uh, so when I say this, and listen, it's not our job to tell you what to see. And I would never, you know, if you, see it if you want, but knock yourself out. But like, I just don't know who to recommend this to. Like sometimes I'll, I'll say this movie I didn't care for it, but if you're into this, this might be for you. And I'll fully admit yeah, that. Yeah. I, I don't know who this is for. It's aggravating to watch it, so I'm just gonna leave it there. I, I this is not a particularly this is not a particularly good film. Uh, why don't you tell me about a movie I wanted to see and I didn't wasn't, wasn't able to make right. the time? Tell me about Fire Island. Uh, Fire Island is a new romantic comedy. It's on Hulu, uh, and it is an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Wouldn't you know it? Ooh. It's it's queer Pride and Prejudice. Um, now, good pitch. It, this is directed by Andrew Ahn. Oh, I love who, Andrew Ahn. Who did that film Driveways from last great. year, which is an excellent movie. That was a great, mm. great... Uh, Brian Dennehy giving a masterclass performance in that movie. Yeah, you have to see that movie. It's so good. And I think it was his last performance before he died. I think, or, or it was right up there, yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where, like, did he have one movie in the can or something? But mm. it's it's definitely his swan song. It is an excellent performance. Like, it's He should yeah. have been nominated for an Oscar... And maybe he should have won. Like, he's really great in that film. Yeah. Uh, Fire Island uh, is a real place. Mm -hmm. uh, Fire Island uh, was notoriously, uh, for many, many years, uh, I, I don't, I'm not totally clear on the history of Fire Island. Yeah, nor I've never but been there. It, but it was a gay haven for many decades. Mm -hmm. And uh, these days in 2022, it's a, a place where you can go every once in a while and have sort of just like a party weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's in it's in uh, it's part of Long Island in New York, yeah. Fire Island. Uh, and this is a story about a group of friends. Uh, they're and they're going to go to Fire Island for a big party weekend because this is Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. uh, our main character, the Elizabeth Bennett character, uh, is um, Noah, so mm -hmm. played by an actor named Joel Kim Booster. Okay, and he is there to make sure that his best friend Howie, the Jane Bennett character. Mm -hmm. uh, is sort of hooked up with a husband, essentially. Okay. Uh, or just, like, gets to have, like, a little bit of a romantic ne dalliance. Needs um, a, yeah. 
The partner. Uh, Howie is a bit of a nerd and he likes to talk about like comedy sketches, whereas uh, Noah is like, no, this is like Lost Weekend stuff. Take a bunch of drugs, have a bunch of sex. This is what you get to have like all of this, uh, a weekend of complete hedonism. Meanwhile, uh, he starts to fall for uh, this other fellow, um, uh, the Mr. Darcy character, mm. is a character named Will, played by uh, Conrad Ricamora. And he's, yeah, just like Mr. Darcy, a little bit cold, kind of intellectual, mm-hmm. but they're really drawn to each other, even though they want to bicker a lot. <laughs> ah, if only they and... didn't have so much pride and or prejudice. <laughs> pride and the other thing. Uh, it doesn't stick to the Pride and Prejudice story too much. It's actually mm. very much a hangout movie. There's a lot of okay. moments where there's just these characters are just sort of hanging out, talking about their lives, talking about their love lives, talking about what they're going through, not in a dramatic way, just ways to build character. Uh, and they're staying on Fire Island with a friend of theirs, uh, this sort of elder lesbian who has bought a house on Fire Island, played by Margaret Cho. She's like the okay. big star of the movie. Always good to see Margaret uh, Cho, yeah, Margaret, very talented. You and I just saw uh, uh, Face Slash Off, the John Woo movie. We did a commentary track for <laughs> we, it. And, we'd seen it before, but yeah. we just we just we recently but, uh, rewatched it together, yeah. I, I had forgotten that Margaret Cho is just like a background character. Yeah. Like she's just one of the people in the CIA office and she has nothing to do in the movie. Yeah, she's just like, there. Oh, and there's Margaret Cho. Yeah, she's perfectly fine in it, but you're not making the most of Margaret Cho. She's incredibly mm-hmm. talented. It's weird to see her in a role that doesn't particularly benefit from having Margaret Cho. Uh-huh. But you know, I'm yeah. glad she got the work. I bet the residuals are pretty good. Yeah. Um, there's a joke in this movie mm-hmm. where uh, all of these characters, are, they're young, they're in their 20s, they're uh, you know, there to have fun, but they're not rich. And mm-hmm. in fact, there are a lot of rich people on, on Fire Island and I'll, this the sort of like conflict of class is a kind of a running theme throughout the movie. How they uh, are invited into the rich white guy's house. And these are like young Asian men and they feel very unwelcome wherever they go. And there's a, a really funny bit where they're sort of gathering around Margaret Cho and she's talking about how she all, even though she owns a house, she also doesn't have a lot of money. And the joke is I, I, of course I don't have any money. I'm terrible with money. I was an early investor in Quibi. (laughs) First Quibi joke I've heard in a movie. Yay. Uh, It turns out this was going to be a Quibi movie. (gasps) The, oh, the star was developing a, that's qu- a queer romance for Quibi. That's hilarious. And, uh, and like, it was in, in development. Uh, and unfortunately, Quibi shut down after seven months. So the right. project kind of scattered and regrouped a little bit and was rewritten and became this instead. Yeah, so a this lot is kind of, of like a child of a Quibi project. A lot of Quibi shows, not all weirdly enough, mm-hmm. but a lot of Quibi shows are currently available on Roku. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe. So you can definitely see some of them. But you, you've, you've said before that many of them were quite good. Uh, so, I mean, some of them were bad, but uh, oh, yeah, sure. But the, like they 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 produced like a lot of shows in a very short amount of time. A lot of show, and they they attracted a lot of because t- they spent a lot of money, so they attracted a lot of talent. They tried to get some really interesting ideas in there. Uh, their uh, most dangerous game was kind of fun. Hmm. Uh, what was that Steve Soderbergh one where like you, there's a guy who's like trapped in like the wilderness, and every time he looks at his phone, if you oh, like, moved your uh, phone, you could see what was on his that, phone. That was wireless. That was probably yeah. the best thing Quibi did. Uh, yeah, when uh, when you wa- watched it, your on your phone sideways, you could see the uh, actor, see the character. Yeah. But when you turned it upright, you could see whatever was on his phone at that minute. And each of the chapters, uh, because it was split into seven minute segments, was named after. Uh, the percentage of battery life that was on his phone. Ah. So his phone is slowly running out of batteries during this thriller sort of thriller thing. Yeah. 
so yeah, Fire Island was supposed to be a Quibi project. It turned into a feature film on, on Hulu. This is a very sweet movie. Hmm. Uh, because it actually deals with the characters and their desires in the way a Jane Austen novel might. And people are actually talking about their feelings, but in a relatable sort of way. And the main character is constantly translating a lot of subtext, uh, the same way Elizabeth Bennet would. Mm. Uh, in that, we, you know, somebody says something and we get to hear his voice over. The, here's what this really means. Like, uh, it's like, oh, you're so cute means I would never fuck you. Mm. Like, th- that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's cute and that's like sort of like a fun narrative device but it also goes to show what a know-it-all that character is and that actually kind of comes around to bite him in the ass at the end uh it's also very open and frank about uh queer lifestyles and a lot of uh you know a a lot of what i i I haven't been to fire island but Mm -hmm. you know a lot of sort of the foibles of what going there is like Mm -hmm. and what it's like to cruise and have sex with or just pick up purport- other men and uh, it purports this... to give you the flavor of the community exactly okay, and, yeah. and how uh, how accurate that is we cannot say how it feels like a, like a world removed and how the sort of the romantic rules and the sexual rules are a little bit different on fire island right. and it's just really Do we ever relaxed see the fire it. is there like a big like it's not a fire island goodness sake i, I played a lot mm-hmm. of video games mm-hmm. i've been to a lot of fire islands mm-hmm. i've been to a lot of water islands yeah. Because they're all water yeah. islands. Yeah, <laughs> if you really think about it. Gra- Sometimes gra- I don't have grass, a lot to contribute when Whitney hasn't world, seen the world. I haven't seen the movie Whitney, so... Um, no, I, I really dug it. This is uh, just nice. a, a really sweet queer romance. Uh, it feels really reminiscent of a lot of things I saw in the 1990s, mm. where... Uh, in the 90s, there was this sort of boom in uh, independent queer cinema. There's a lot of queer, just new queer movies were coming out all the time. Yeah. You know, uh, from uh, you know, Watermelon Woman on down. Uh, and there yeah. was... A lot of these movies weren't necessarily all that good. Uh, yeah, not necessarily. Yeah. I, I saw a movie called Kiss Me Guido once that came out during that <laughs> phase. Uh, which is just terrible. It's not uh, a good movie. I, I remember... I, I Kiss Me Guido uh, is a movie... It's, so fucking stupid. The, the, it is about the, a very stereotypical sitcom Italian American guy mm. whose girlfriend breaks up with them, and he moves in with the gay guy, and they're but not, he, they're not gonna get along. Well, they're he, different. The, the joke is he doesn't know what it, he doesn't read that this is a gay man. In fact, when he reads the uh, the the ad saying uh, uh, you know GWM seeks, seeking, roommate, yeah. seeks GWM roommate. Uh, he thinks GWM means guy with money. Guy with money. <laughs> yeah. So, like, let me, let me give you an example t- of this. T- TV seeking partner. So, yeah. what he's got a TV? Let, let me let yeah. me let me uh-huh. let me give you a, the the best example of humor in this movie. This is a joke that made my parents <laughs> laugh. Oh no! It's a harmless joke. Okay. It is a harmless. It's it's a little it's a little stereotypical about Italian Americans. But speaking as an Italian American, I can handle this one. Um. There's a bit where he's got to move out of his girlfriend's apartment. She's cheating on him, and he's got to move out right away. And he tells his best friend, who works at a pizza place because they're time, uh, bring some boxes so that I can move my stuff. Hmm. And he brings a bunch of pizza, pizza boxes. boxes. <laughs> I remember that guy. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's it's that kind of like I see how that's a joke. Hmm. I honestly don't see how a person would do that. Like uh, an adult person hmm. would think that these are useful moving boxes. Unless you're moving a lot of pizzas. I, again, if you're moving uh, pizzas, yeah. yes. If you're moving well, anything yeah. else, 
not maybe vinyl records. Like I don't understand. Like you're not, they're not useful. <laughs> the, the so point like, that that's that's the level of humor we're talking about here. Like that's how good it was. The point I'm going to make about Kiss Me Guido, and there are Please other do. other examples as well. There's, there's um uh, uh better than chocolates. Okay, um, yeah. Jeffrey is okay. Um, okay. But these were queer movies that came out at a time when. Uh, the filmmakers assumed that the characters were interesting merely because they were queer. Okay. They didn't seem to have too much character at all. Like the, mm. their sexuality was their character and that was it. And yeah. we were, uh, because that was considered kind of novel at the time, uh, audiences were expected just to glom onto that. Mm. It's like, well, no, can we have like story and character as well? And, and not just have a character say, I am queer. And, and again, to be clear, there were really good movies too, but there oh, were also some movies were. that seemed to coast. And yeah, uh, I'm grateful that we were kind of moving past that. I saw a film uh, more recently called love Simon. Oh yeah. yeah. Which was uh, a teenage uh, high school queer romance. And it was a studio rom-com. Studio romantic comedy. It was like a a John Hughes type movie. Big cheer moment when two boys kiss. Wonderful idea. Sweet film. Simon is boring as shit. Yes, (laughs) he is. He's a really boring character. He's a generic John Hughes hero. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, and again, it, but so I got a little bit of whiff of that, that the character, we're supposed to find him interesting merely because he's queer. And he'd, it would have been nice if he had some personality or foibles or some something beyond that. Sure. Uh, I, I started up Fire Island and I started to feel that way for a second. Okay. It's like, oh no. Here we go. You're not going to have any character. Oh wait. Really quickly, they dispel all of that. And all That's of these good. characters, even the minor characters, have really weird personality traits. They're all these sort of like quirky sitcom type characters. It's a little broad. It's a comedy. But they all have texture, and that's really nice. That's great. Uh, and, you know, people drift in and out. Uh, one of the characters is a little bit secretive. It turns out he's secretive because he has an OnlyFans. Uh, <laughs> so that's his big secret. And, okay. yeah, that's sort of like the modern version of like a Jane Austen secret, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm, oh no, I'm, I'm secretly writing a novel. Yeah, like, I'm, oh god. I'm wild artist who's writing a novel on the side. <laughs> yes. Yeah, what's the modern version of that? What, what's what's something you could do to make money and be creative, but you wouldn't want to tell anybody on a first date? Like, yeah, 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 I have, yeah. An, I have an OnlyFans. I can see that, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, all, all those little details lend to a lot of texture. And like I said, there's a lot of scenes where people are just sort of hanging out and just mm. sort of talking. And I love that kind of thing, that the hangout movie where we get to know people just through their conversations. Yeah. So it's really, really quite good. It sounds it's good. Really, this is really on Hulu. Sweet. This is on Hulu. Okay, I'm definitely going to check this out. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to see it in time, but it sounds really, really good. A lot of the things you were saying about this movie and how it reminded you mm. in positive and negative ways about like movies from the 90s. Uh, something I can say about the next film that I saw that uh, you did. You didn't see The Interceptor? I did not see Interceptor. Okay, so I saw this new, it's a new Netflix uh, movie, Interceptor, but whereas something like, say, uh, Fire Island uh, evokes the uh, queer indie boom of the 90s, um, remember when Jean-Claude Van Damme would release, like, kind of shitty action movies, but they go into theaters? Oh, yeah, Hard, hard yeah. Target's pretty good. The Hard Target's pretty good, but I'm talking about, like, the kind of shitty ones. You like know, like the ones that are, like, off. barely a movie. Yeah, like, kind of barely a movie. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, so... A knockoff is a Choi Hark film, too. I know, and Choi Hark is, like, a huge deal in China. And when he came to America, they gave him nothing good to work with. He also with. did, like, Double Team or some, some of the other garbage, yeah, just, American garbage it, movies. It, a lot... John Woo got a lot of, like, really plum projects in, mm. in Hollywood. But when a lot of other filmmakers uh, from Hong Kong 
uh, uh, came over here, Hollywood just did him dirty. Like, Ringo Lamb, Hollywood was, like, mean to the career of Ringo mm-hmm. Lamb. Like, he just didn't know what to do with him. So, uh, that's not my point. My point is this. Uh, there is a certain breed of action movie that is trying to thrill you, but not spend a lot of money. And, and not, like... Not like really go overboard about it. Like it just which we're is, here. Which we're is, here. That's a thing. And yeah. I and I actually want to say and this is not a bad thing. Okay, not every movie is trying to blow your goddamn mind. Sometimes they're just trying to be a good time. And I have a lot of respect for people who make low budget action movies. Oftentimes these are things that would go straight to video or straight to streaming. And I'm not talking about like the high profile Netflix stuff. I'm talking like. Um, uh, we're doing a straight-to-video sequel to Scorpion King. Like, that kind of, like... Like, we're going to have a good time here, but, like, we're not pretending this we, is going to be especially good. We don't have, like, expensive sets. We're yeah. going to shoot, shoot out in the desert of California. Yeah. We have a few horses. Yeah. We have and, a couple and... of actors that you recognize, but no one especially famous. And, that and the script works, is, is just okay. That works if you have a, a talented fighter and or stunt coordinator especially then that really really helps but even then what really honestly you can do it if you have a fun script that isn't trying to be bigger than it is you don't want a script that is trying to give you a whole bunch of stuff that you cannot afford to film you don't want a script that it would only work in a larger context if like you had really cool looking dinosaurs in it or something mm. you want something that is modest but within that modest framework is trying to give you suspense and excitement and thrills. And that's Interceptor. It is a low budget. It's either like really, 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 really high-end Asylum or really, really, really <laughs> low-end Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like it's somewhere in that weird, like that it, that half inch of space between those two things. I'll, I'll say that there are plenty of entertaining movies in that space. And this is one of them. Okay. Uh, Interceptor. Interceptor is a film uh, written and directed by Matthew Riley. It is co-written by Stuart Beatty, who is one of those screenwriters who has a very up-and-down career. Uh, in addition to working on things like Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, and Collateral, and 30 Days of Night. Right. He's also done stuff like G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, and Derailed, and he directed I, Frankenstein. So, a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. Recently, if you might recognize the name, uh, he's written or co-written a lot of episodes of that new Obi-Wan Kenobi series on Disney. So he's right. got a bit of an upswing. Good for him. Uh, in any case, uh, this movie uh, stars Elsa Pataki. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, it's a Spanish uh, actress uh, who is perhaps best known as a character from the Fast and Furious movie. She was introduced as... Uh, the like Brazilian cop Dwayne Johnson takes under his wing in Fast Five, and then later on she like marries Vin Diesel for like a movie and has his kid. Uh-huh. Uh, and she's kind of written out of the series unceremoniously, but here she's the action movie star. Uh, she plays an American uh, like soldier. I think she's in the army, not a marine, uh, who is stationed. On And the movie assures us that this is a thing. I have no idea how true this is. But the idea is this. If the Russians ever sent nuclear missiles to uh, the United States from the West Coast, or the East Coast of Russia, but the West Coast of America, 
Uh, there are only two places where we have missiles set up to intercept them. Okay. One is in Alaska, and one is on like kind of like a standalone, kind of like oil derrick in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. All right. That's that's the premise. At the beginning of the movie, bad the guys of, have... In the middle of the Atlantic. What did I say? You said Atlantic. I meant the Pacific, sorry. Okay. That's just a... That's, that, that's, that's a long trip for a, a Russian missile to make 12, the United It's 12.43 a.m. And, right. and I just I just mix it up. Honest mistake. Um, so, uh, so at the beginning of the movie, bad guys have overtaken the Alaskan outpost. And now they're going to try to overtake this, like, oil derrick outpost so that America will be defenseless against nuclear missiles uh, to destroy the country. And uh, the only person standing in their way is Elsa Pataki. Hmm. Elsa Pataki is actually a pretty convincing action star. You know, she 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 fights good. Uh, her, she acts okay. Like, this is why I bring in Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like, I, I'm convinced that she can kick my butt and mm. look good doing it. But um, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hire her to do Shakespeare right now. Like I don't think there, there there's not a lot of nuance to the performance. Um, and I love and the other reason I bring up Jean Claude Van Damme is if you recall, a lot of Jean Claude Van Damme films would cast Jean Claude Van Damme in a role that was sort of quintessentially American, but then they'd have to explain his accent. Mm. You know, like oh yes, but he was raised on the Bayou, like that kind of thing. There's a great bit at the beginning of this movie where Elsa Pataki is like stationed at this uh, interceptor base. And someone greets her. It's like, ah, yes, welcome, Captain. Welcome to the Interceptor base. I will show you to your quarters. And then clearly ADR, clearly added in post. Someone says off, like, off camera, so I hear you were raised in Spain. (laughs) 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 Oh, I love it. Just to hide that she's got a very thick Spanish accent, which is not really a problem, but I love the very half-hearted attempt to explain it. It's so on the nose. It's great. Um... So anyway, bad guys, they've intercepted the place. They've, oh. like, taken the place of, like, the uh, the janitorial staff. And uh, now they're, they're they're ready to kill everybody. And at the beginning of the movie, they kill everyone except for her and, like, one other guy. And they're barricaded. They've barricaded themselves in the room with all the computer equipment that controls the missiles. And all they want to do is destroy the computer equipment. And it's just two people in a room trying to stop really, like, heavily armed bad guys from breaking in. And if they do... They'll destroy all of America. Okay. Which is a good, solid premise for a low-budget action movie. Gigantic stakes. Like, huge stakes. People in a room, people in a hallway. That's the movie. (laughs) And I love it. I love that. It's so clean. The movie kicks into high gear within ten minutes. We're not fucking around here. She shows up at the base. There's a little bit of exposition about who she is and what she came from and why she's got such a crappy position, even though she's such a badass. And then within 10 minutes, her boss has been shot in the head and she's barricaded in there. And that's that's the rest of the movie. That's great. Yeah. And then occasionally... just get cut, cut yeah, to it. It's so efficient. Like I can't, I can't be mad at that. How, like, how it's long, not, is this movie like any longer than eighty-five minutes? I think it's like ninety on the dot. Like it's, All it's, right. it's, <laughs> it's pretty clear. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's an hour and thirty-nine, but it feels tight. All right, it feels tight. Ninety, I don't know. They, Ninety-nine they, minutes. They managed to find. They, that, that, that's drag. Here's what I'll say. It's not always clever, but they managed to find a way to never let that get too dull. Mm. There's always just like. 
okay, we've done some exposition here. We now we now know what, who the bad guy is and what's going on. And oh no, a martial artist has just dropped in through an air vent. <laughs> well, I guess we got to deal with this right now. Is and the, they do, and that, it's awesome. Is that Don the Dragon Wilson? <laughs> I wish it was. That would have been amazing. If that had been a get, that would have been cool. Like but some, just a random guy. We never no, even no saw. Fighter, we never yeah. even saw him before in the movie. He just sort of shows up. Um, that's that's the whole fucking movie. It's her being a badass, and she's reasonably convincing at it. Mm. The bad guy being a smarmy asshole. They, they, the, they play the bad guy as if he's like Donald Trump Jr. Like, the whole idea ah. is, like, he his dad is, like, some uh, really rich guy who became a politician, even though he's an idiot and an amoral asshole. Mm. And that's his backstory. That's why he hates America or some shit like that. Uh, and, yeah, that's it. That's that's the whole fucking movie. It is reasonably low budget. There's a couple of like bits where they exit the room and it looks reasonably convincing that they're on like a an oil derrick kind of thing. Um but yeah. Clean, simple, suspenseful. You know, you can only take it too seriously, but I think the movie is aware that it's not like it's not mm-hmm. Shakespeare. Like it's just a, it's a it's a very modest action movie that is never trying to be bigger than it is, and it's got a decent setup for it. And honestly, Elsa Pataki, yeah, you want to do some more action? Let's do some more action movies, man. Let's get you like your own like. <laughs> let's, let's say you be the next J- J- JCVD. Why not? You're you're kind of badass. Let's do it. Get a Roth Rock back in the. Why not? The, the like yeah, I, they're they're cool. Honestly, I, I dig them so. Yeah, again, if you're if you keep your expectations of the movie modest, if you are going in expecting this is a low budget action movie mm. and not one that's like trying, it's not like not like John Wick one where it technically didn't cost that much, but they got a lot of bang for out of it. Yeah, like no, 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 this is a low budget action movie. Keep that in mind. You'll have a good time. Mm. That's all I'll say. However, I have heard rave reviews. Well, if, of the movie you saw that I didn't because I didn't have yeah. three extra hours this week. <laughs> yeah, if, if uh, you want uh, the exact opposite of modest action, <laughs> if you if you want your cup to runneth over with action, then you can see Triple R, uh, which is uh, an Indian film mm-hmm. from uh, a star director. His name is S.S. Uh, S. Rajamuli, who uh, works in uh, Telugu cinema. Uh, which is an industry unto itself. Telugu and Tamil movies are uh, not to be confused with Bollywood movies. Bollywood is a di- completely different industry. Bollywood mm. is Bombay films. Uh, it's a Telugu film. Uh, and the only way uh, I was able to see it was in Hindi. It was dubbed mm. into Hindi uh, and, and also English uh, on Netflix. That's the way they offer it. I, what, why I, I'm don't not they exactly have sure. It's, it's, it's right there. Yeah. You have that. It's, why it's, a, okay. it's a Telugu language film, but it's the version I saw was in Hindi. Yeah. Maybe they only maybe they can only do two language offerings per film? Uh, may, I don't know. I can't possibly there's there's right. got to be some weird uh that's so weird. availability <laughs> problem. So annoying. That's why uh, that's anyway. the other reason I wasn't excited to watch it. I was hoping to see it in the original language. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, this is the story of two real-life uh, Indian freedom fighters. Uh, it takes place in India in the 1920s, mm. and uh, the two main characters are uh, Kamaram Bhim, who's played by N.T. Rama Rao Jr., mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Aluri Sitarama Raju. Uh, Raju is played by Ram Charan. Ram Charan, handsome as fuck, <laughs> has, like, the sweetest like 
Luigi Nintendo mustache you've ever seen. Like this nice. re- resplendent mustache. <laughs> and these are two actual uh, Indian freedom fighters who never actually met in real life. Oh, that's but in, funny. But this is like sort of like a historical revisionism thing sure. where what what would happen if these two guys actually met and became best friends? I, I can I'm down for that. It'd be like what if like Lincoln and Napoleon? Well, I guess Lincoln and Napoleon uh, aren't. They weren't contemporaries. Contemporaries, but yeah. Like, yeah. What if what if Thomas Jefferson and hmm. Napoleon fought aliens? Oh, maybe not aliens, but they, right. they, they teamed up to like just be badasses together. Yeah. I don't know. So the plot of the movie is uh, the Beam character. Uh, these horrible uh, British colonialists have visited his uh, remote village. And they're, uh, they've paid a, this 13-year-old girl to sort of sing for them. And they give a bunch of money. It's like, oh, this is great. Why don't we, uh, why don't we just buy her? And they throw yeah. a few coins at the villagers and they drive off. They kidnap the daughter. Uh, the uh, colonialists are played by Ray Stevenson and Alison Duty. Uh, Alison Duty was oh. from Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. That's what yeah. I know her from. She was also in A View to a Kill. She played um, Jenny Flex. That's right. <laughs> Which is not a great Bond girl name, but okay. Yeah. So, uh, Beam goes to Delhi uh, to look for her. Uh, he knows that she's sort of in one of these big mansions, but needs to sort of locate her. Meanwhile, uh, we're introduced to the Raju character in this big old action set piece where uh, the uh, local consulate, the British consulate, is being beset by uh, by rioters. Yeah. And one guy throws a rock and insults the, the British white nationalist dude. And uh, he just says, hey, who was that? That one guy in this like crowd of hundreds. Arrest him. And and Raju becomes like, he becomes Riddick in that moment. Like, <laughs> he bounds over the fence and just like with a stick, just murders 40 people on the oh way God. out to do, like apprehend this one guy, pick him up, jump over the fence with him. It's like this 15 minute set piece that the movie just opens with. It's before we've even got the title of the thing. Uh, and eventually he is hired to track down uh, the people who might be looking for the kidnapped girl. Mm. So they've never met. They've never seen each other. They run into each other in Delhi uh, and through another action set piece where they, rescue a boy from a, a train that might fall on him from a bridge using like this really elaborate rope maneuver. Okay. Uh, they bond and they become best friends and they sing about it because this is an Indian film and you're not going to go through uh, an Indian film without getting at least a few musical bangers. Yeah. A lot of pop stars come to prominence because of uh, their musical talents in these gigantic actions. It doesn't really matter what the genre is. Yeah. It could be a romance, well, it could be comedy, it could be an action picture. There's going to be some musical uh, set. Not every, not every uh, uh, country or culture has mm-hmm. the same idea of uh, genre rigidity yeah, it, that Americans do, where you're only allowed to break into a song if you're a musical or maybe if you're a comedy. Mm. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of other countries that are just like, you're, well, I, you can switch between... Mm wildly different genres more naturally and people don't say like hey pick a lane yeah they're just it, well, it's accepted that you could do anything what i appreciate about uh indian cinema at least the indian cinema that i've seen mm-hmm. uh is they're they're going to entertain you damn it they're going you're in there if you're going to go to the bother of paying money to see a movie they're going to give you a lot of it it's going to be at least yeah. three hours in length and it's going to have action set pieces. There's going to be a romance. There's going to be songs. They're going to give you everything in every movie. I feel mm. like 
some of the superhero yeah. movies are trying to go in that direction in America yeah. now. Yeah, we got whereas got to have a gigantic motion yeah, picture like, experience. Uh, yeah, some yeah, like Avengers Endgame has this ending set piece. It's like thirty minutes and fifty characters, and they're all fighting each other. They can <coughs> sing in that number. I, I, I don't know why they didn't sing. Remember that one episode scene. of The Simpsons where uh, Monty Burns went over to The Simpsons' house to watch boxing, and he was like, "Back in my day, if they didn't go at least fifty rounds, we'd ask for our nickel back." <laughs> like that's. Oh. You were expected to get a lot of entertainment for your money. Yeah. Uh, so we get to see their friendship grow. Oh no, will they find out that one of them is actually on the run from the other one? You know, are they going to find out that he's a cop? Maybe he knows he's a cop, but he's looking for somebody else. Uh, all of these uh, little bits of misunderstandings. Of course, the truth comes to light, and it leads to... Uh, but before that, they kind of bond a little bit, and they go to a big fancy dress ball, and they outdance the British. And there's nice. this gigantic, amazing dance number. Uh, all of this will lead to a great siege on a on the British uh, consulate, where uh, the Beam character has a truck full of animals that he's specially like. He hasn't specially trained; they're just for, sort of feral animals. He lets out a bunch of tigers, and they're just savaging everyone as he's this hunky shirtless guy trying to break into a building and stuff's on fire and then the intermission comes <laughs> and then there's another movie worth of action to go we get a flashback to the Raju character and what he's been doing this whole time and how he believes in guns and how he had to fight off British soldiers when he was a child this movie doesn't stop for a second it's just breakneck all the way through uh, the word people have been using to describe it as maximalist it's maximalist entertainment I feel like that's true of a lot of Indian cinema. Just they're going to put a lot of it mm. in there. I don't know why this one in particular is striking, but I'm glad it is because it yeah. is really entertaining. Is it's it, is a it movie ever... that's going to give you the slickest, most amazing, kind of ridiculous action that you kind of wished was in all of the summer blockbusters. This is the kind... We talked about this when we talked about mm. Top Gun as well. Yeah. We feel like action movies probably should all be kind of this slick, right? Especially the yeah. big studio ones that have a lot of money behind them. Yeah, you want I think them... they would have put a lot of thought and structure and energy into making it as efficient as possible. Yeah, we don't want them all to be the same, but we want them to be efficient and well-told. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Not, not, I don't want them all to be you know about pilots. That's not what I'm yeah. saying. Uh, uh, you know, other, And we talked about uh, when we reviewed um, the new Doctor Strange movie, how that movie yeah. feels like weirdly haphazard and a little bit shabby, which is yeah. weird for a movie of its cost. It doesn't feel like it's particularly well structured mm. or very clear in its intentions. Yeah, yeah. It's a fucking mess is what mm. it is. It's an enjoyable mess in a lot of ways, but, but it is a mess. Oh, there's plenty of enjoyable stuff in there. Yeah. And, you know, the zombie stuff is really fun in that movie. Mm. But, uh, yeah, you would think that all every summer blockbuster, like it would be their birthright to be as entertaining as something like Top Gun. I'm not a huge fan of Top Gun, uh, but I recognize it for, like, the near-perfect summer blockbuster machine that it is. Sure. Uh, you don't have to love that, but you, yeah, you, you see what exactly, it's doing. Yeah. You, know, you understand why people are digging it. Triple uh, R is has a, a, a similar sort of thing that we all long for, and that's we want all of this entertainment. We want all of this backstory. We l thirst for it. And we want to see... Uh, a movie that is completely unguarded mm -hmm. in how forthrightly emotional it is. Mm. Nothing's cool in this movie. Everybody feels everything very intensely. Everything's intense in this movie. Everything's ratcheted up, including <laughs> stuff like friendship and romances. Yeah. Uh, there's no action movie filter to this. It's all very earnest. Yeah. And I think that's a big reason why a lot of people are in 
at least the, uh, the American audiences are responding to it the way they are. My one question about this, because it sounds fun, and I'm definitely going to watch this. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about how it's just like it's it, it never stops. There's always more amazing mm-hmm. shit being thrown at the screen. Uh, but we've also talked before about how a lot of movies are trying to do something similar. Like they're trying to be just wall-to-wall cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the pacing is a problem because it gets oh, exhausting uh, after a while. This is a three-hour maximalist movie. Does it ever see, feel like too much? Uh, no. Um, I don't want to... I say there's a lot in it, but I don't want to imply that there's, like, pacing problems. It's not yeah. like something like uh, The Raid, where it's just action all th- from beginning to end. Yeah, which, and uh, again, a lot, a lot of respect to that movie, but it's a little exhausting after a while. It, it, this is a very yeah. very well-modulated film. There's, okay. You know, like I said, there's, like, dance numbers and musical mm-hmm. numbers and, and you know, love stories and backstories, so it actually yeah. does ebb and flow the way a movie ought to. Okay. It's just everything's so much, uh, is like turned up a little bit louder. Okay. Everything's a little bit higher. Uh, and so, no, it doesn't become exhausting. It's actually really propulsive and really kind of gets you through. Well, that sounds awesome. I mean, there's there's a lot of, you know, and same with the superhero movies. People are just sitting through these three-hour movies. Yeah. It's like the length is a problem. Well, I, I don't hear a lot of people saying that about Batman no, or, or Avengers. Well, I, I said that about the Batman, but I, I didn't say that even though I'm not as in love with it as other people are. Mm-hmm. Avengers Endgame? That's a lot of movie. It is a lot of movie. That's a lot. Of, you got your money's worth mm-hmm. of that movie. Even even if you whether you loved it or just liked it. Like, I, that's that's a ton of movie. I, I wanted... My uh, my dream cut of the movie would mm-hmm. be uh, none of the time travel stuff. Just skip like, it all. Like, like, they disappear and they just come they, back. They, well, they, we did it. Yeah, disappear. <laughs> zip, pop. They're just back. And they have they have the gems. Uh, Black Widow's gone, and it's just like, oh shit, she's gone. What happened? I can't tell you about it. It's oh so God. awful. Like that that would have been. Yeah. And then we can we release yeah. like a spinoff movie that just shows what happened. Uh, sure, why not? Just <laughs> milk it even further. Why not? That's not a bad idea. Actually. Like all, all, and it's like, oh no, now we have to get more. What were the. Infinity Stones. No, the widgets that that let them like time travel more. Pim particles. Pim particles. We have to go in and get more pim. Skip all that shit. We don't need it. (laughs) Captain America fighting himself. We don't need one. Captain America is bad enough. We don't need two of them. Okay, we're gonna move on. (laughs) We're getting into the weeds. All right. uh, So that is it for the new movie reviews. Let's look back at everything we talked about and let's uh, judge everything on the critically acclaimed scale. Now, once again, for those maybe new or need a refresher. Here's how the critically acclaimed scale works, and it's different from other scales. Uh, we review movies on a scale of C- to C+. The lowest a movie can get is a C-. That's anything that's below average. Yeah. That's just anything. We just kind of just don't recommend it. It could be terrible. It could just not be particularly good. That's a C-. C is average. You know, it's just it's just kind of okay, or there's some good, some bad, some audiences will like it more than others. That's a C. And then C plus is anything above average, anything we just genuinely recommend, either because it's just kind of neat or it's like really unbelievably amazing. So on that note, mm. Whitney, how do you rate RRR? Uh, it, it's a it's a C plus. Nice. It's, it's really excellent. Uh, I I saw it, it not in Telugu, but uh, mm. you know it's. I'll probably try to watch it again. Uh, mm. This has been getting a few limited theatrical runs. Uh, at least here in Los Angeles, and I think in New York as well. It's yeah. not nationwide release, but because it's on Netflix now, 
uh, you can just yeah. watch it. So, if you yeah. do get a chance to see it theatrically, uh, look into your theater because I've heard a couple of places because the movie is so long and a lot of like contemporary uh, like projectionists don't understand the concept of intermissions. Mm. We've heard some stories about some movies cutting it off in intermission. Uh, the, the, so the theater the would just over stop it. Intermission. Yeah, yeah, and they just stop the movie. You don't get to see the second half. I remember that that kind of happened like once or twice with Grindhouse. I heard um, um, or something similar. But um, in any case, so look into that if you're going to go see it in a theater. But it is on Netflix. But it is not in the original language which is weird hmm. but anyway uh next up uh, we have interceptor which is also on netflix uh interceptor is a very high c uh, it's, right. not, it's not quite exciting and thrilling and awesome enough to warrant like an unabashed recommendation mm-hmm. but for what it is if you want to like take a course in like how to make a lot out of kind of a little uh, without like necessarily relying entirely on like, well, we've got like these amazing martial artists and we'll just let them do what they do. It's like, no, we don't really, we don't really have that. We just, mm. you know, have a have a decent idea that doesn't cost a lot of money, and we're not going to throw a lot of money at it. And our cast isn't amazing, but they're going to do their jobs, and we're going to see how good movie you can make. This is about as good a movie as you can make. It's quite okay. good. So it's worth checking out if you like low-budget action movies. Um, if you don't, well, this isn't going to convert you or anything like that. But I think you'll see that it's pretty well done. Uh, next up, uh, we've got Fire Island. Uh, see, also a C+. Plus. Nice. It, yeah, it's a very, very sweet, very earnest uh, romantic comedy. Uh, mm. Sweet, sweet, sweet. It's just the, the, the only word I want to use to describe it. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Dashcam is a C-. Minus. Uh, it is like a legitimately painful to watch motion oh, picture. Uh, I have no intention of watching it again. Uh, and I honestly don't know who it's for. I don't know who to recommend this to. I, if you want to go experience a gauntlet, <laughs> you know, you want... I've said this before, being a a film critic, I've said before, being a film critic is is a full contact sport. Uh, You know, I've had this conversation with someone recently, we're talking about like, ah, this movie's bad, and I'm like, but you enjoy watching it. Hmm. And they're like, yeah, well then how bad can it really be? When I say a movie is bad, Hmm. not like, oh, it's pretty bad. Like, no, when I say a movie is bad, I mean it's hard to watch. And that's dash cam. And, and there's, I mean, there's something to be said when you recognize that a movie is bad. Like, it's mm. bad, badly written, you don't like the plot, but there's look, an I, element I, about it that is either appealing to you or that maybe yeah. it contains an interesting idea. I, 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 when that happens, I tend to prefer to use the word incompetent. Yeah. Like, it's not competently done, but there's something here I'm connecting to. Yeah. You know, something, something usually something earnest, mm. sometimes something ironic, I don't know. Uh, but uh, moving on, uh, next up we have Watcher, uh, the new thriller starring Micah Monroe. Uh, it's a very low C+. It's not quite thrilling enough mm. for me to go like, wow, you gotta go see it. But like, it is definitely doing exactly what it sets out to do. There's definitely some creepy moments in it. It's a good, strong character piece from Micah Monroe. Uh, and it sound, sounds really good. It, it's very, know, very good. It's, it's well. maybe a little dry for its own good, but it is still mm. doing everything it sets out to do. And the last shot is sticking with me. I gotta nice. say, I think I think I nailed it. Um, and then lastly, uh, Crimes of the Future. Uh, it's it's always a, a cause celeb when a filmmaker like David Cronenberg makes a new one. But as you heard us uh, whinge, it is a little little bit too oblique for its own good. Mm. It does kind of lose the thread. I'm going to give it a C okay. because there is a lot of fascinating things in it. There's a lot of uh, interesting and disturbing images. Mm-hmm. I just wish it cohered in, in a more cogent way. I'm actually going to give this movie a C-. Uh, right. I, it's, it's, not a, it's not a particularly like... 
I, I'm not upset with the movie per se. Uh, I'm a little disappointed in it because I know David Cronenberg has done better, but uh, it's a one where I think David Cronenberg fans might be able to find something to enjoy here, mm. but it just doesn't really function very well as a film. It feels mm. like a smattering of ideas that aren't developed very well and yeah. don't end up going in a direction that makes even thematic sense necessarily for the material. Uh, it just kind of gets lost in its own. Uh, it kind of gets lost in its own plot and loses its point. Uh, there's things I like in it, but mm. I can't really, in good conscience, say this is a this is a good Cronenberg movie. Okay. Uh, but anyway, that is it for critically acclaimed this week. Next week we'll be back with a full review of Jurassic Park Dominions. Um, I thought that would be funny to say. It's not. True. It's just. It's D- just Dominions. <laughs> I don't know. I was gonna say Dem onions. You know, like you sure. know, Dem onions. Those onions. Jurassic World's Dominion. And I don't think there's a colon. It's okay. uh, one of the only cases I can think of, other than Batman, where the title is not being used in any of the advertising. They're just saying Dominion. No, it's They're just, just it's the, the, it's the big logo. Jurassic logo, yeah. and sometimes it's the logo with like the cast sort of painted inside mm. of it. They're not. They putting... kn- we know what you mean. Like yeah, the, 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 everyone knows what that is, but <laughs> no one's confused. But it's like when Prince changed his name to a symbol. How do you pronounce that? Well, Prince didn't. Well, here's the difference: is that we 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 know how to pronounce it. It's called Jurassic Park and or World. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Like he, 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 Jurassic Park didn't change its name. Hmm. It's just relying on a logo. I yeah. I think it's well, okay. in that it's case. Fine. I'm calling it Morbius. There you go. The, the title of the movie is now Morbius. Yeah. And other things are opening next week as well, and we'll review those too. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Please subscribe if you haven't already. That would be awesome. Leave us a review if you haven't already. That would also be really, really great for us. Uh, even if you don't like it. Mm. Be honest. But reviews help us find an audience. That would be really great. Uh, if you want to discuss anything we discussed in this episode, you want to talk about any topic, you want to ask us questions, you want anything at all, uh, you can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? We prefer the old-fashioned one. Send us an actual physical letter to the critically acclaimed network, P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at Linda Biani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you want more of our shows, you can head on over to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network for a lot of exclusive programs. Uh, You can vote for future episodes of our shows and get shows dedicated to the Academy Awards, Star Trek, Batman, we do commentary tracks, we do trivia nights with our patrons. It's a whole lot of stuff, and we're incredibly grateful to all of our patrons without whom this show would not exist. And if you uh, don't like hearing commercials on your podcast, we totally sympathize. You can listen to these podcasts ad-free at any Patreon level, even $1 a month. Mm. So thank you to all of our patrons once again. Thank you to everybody for listening. Hope you have a great week. Never forget, everyone's a critic. I want to go to the Midnight Show. I'm sorry, what?